This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. We have a dog. Her name is Sasha. She's almost four. She's a standard poodle. She's got curly, fluffy, soft black hair, and she's very adorable. And she's a part of our family, and we care a lot about taking good care of her. And that includes feeding her high-quality dog food like Merrick's. Founded in Hereford, Texas, Merrick has been crafting high-quality dog food for over 30 years. Real is Merrick's recipe. They always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. Merrick creates homestyle recipes like Real Texas Beef and Sweet Potato or Grammy's Pot Pie, so you can feel good about what you're feeding your pet. I mean, you know, you come home from being out, and your dog is there to greet you, and, like, that's one of the best things about having a pet, you know? You come home, the dog's happy to see you, and they're hungry. And you want to reciprocate that good feeling they give you. When you walk in the door, you want to give to them in the form of some high-quality food. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Have you ever eaten a pickle on a stick? Yes, just now. Do you think it tastes better than other kinds of pickles? Yes. Why? Because um, like it's on the stick so you don't have to like get all messy. Um, because they're easier to eat and you don't have to get, like, juice all over your hands. It's almost like there's that mentality of it's, like, it's a treat. I don't know. It just enhances the pickle. So you get the sourness and the, and the bitter or the, you know, all the pickle flavor, but you're eating it on a stick like it's a ice cream cone. What do you think? What do you think? Pickle on a stick. Am I right? Yeah. yeah How delicious. good is it? Right? Delicious. <laughs> I, I don't understand what makes it better. It's on a stick. <laughs> <laughs> This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Today, I'm coming to you from the 41st annual Pickle Festival in Greenlawn, a suburb on Long Island. I've lived in the Greenlawn area for 10 years, and I can tell you, it's a great town. But it's not known for a whole lot. It's sandwiched between two bigger destination towns that have charming main streets and waterfront views. Greenlawn? Greenlawn has pickles. When I moved here, I learned that pickles used to be big business on Long Island. It was the local industry. In the late 1800s, Greenlawn was covered with cucumber farms. Long Island farmers were shipping 2,000 barrels of cucumbers for pickling into New York City every single day. Till this day, the finest pickle is still a Long Island cucumber. And what makes Long Island pickles better? It's the weather and the soil. But what I didn't know until pretty recently was that back when Greenlawn was covered with cucumber farms, there was a guy in town known as the Pickle King. Someone who, for a long time, was left out of a lot of the history of pickles on Long Island. But for now, back to the festival. It happens every September and I never miss it. It's at the Gardner Farm where there's a big red barn, kids riding a miniature train, corn maze, there are hot dogs, corn dogs, booths selling arts and crafts, and a guy performing covers of Billy Joel, patron saint of Long Island. And of course, there are pickles. Barrels and barrels of pickles, which you can buy in big containers or solo on a stick. What's your favorite pickle? The new dill pickle. That's like a half sour, right? Right. Yeah, I like new dill. Yeah, yeah. I like them too because they like taste like a half a cucumber, half a pickle. Yeah. The whole town's out here. There are people I know left and right, like my friend Mike Dempsey. Mike, you're born and raised here in Greenlawn, is that right? Yes, it is. As you chomp on a pickle, like, what does this day mean to you? It's awesome. And, and it's honestly, it's a place where I brought my kids now for 
almost 10 years straight. When you were growing up, was it like a known thing, like Green Lawn and Pickles? Did you talk about it then? Yes. Or was it like a lesson in third grade? It was just in the, in the ether around the town. It was just always known there were, that pickles were a part of our history. So where are we, Robert? We're at the John Gardner Farm in Greenlawn, which is uh, an old farm stand going back to this, the mid-1700s. Uh, I went back to the Gardner Farm on a day when the Pickle Festival wasn't happening, so I could meet the official town historian, Robert Hughes. In its prime, the Gardner Farm was likely a couple hundred acres. The Gardners inherited the land through marriage, and it stayed in the family for generations, until the last heir gave it to the local historical society. In 1858, Alexander Gardner bought some land from his mother and tried his hand at a number of industries. He ran a sawmill, an ice house, a brickyard. Then, shortly after the Civil War, a railroad was built on Long Island and Greenlawn got a stop. That was a game changer. The train made it a lot easier to transport goods to New York City, 40 miles away, which opened up a big new market for local farmers. Around that same time, Alexander Gardner had an idea. Pickles. Alexander Gardner, who we consider the pickle pioneer, he grew up here. He's sort of the person who said, hey, we should start growing cucumbers and having them pickled in Greenlawn and on Long Island. Do we know why cucumbers in particular as opposed to any other vegetable? For some reason, he just had the vision. It must have been a call for pickles. (laughs) (laughs) It's like anyone else, any good entrepreneur, you you recognize uh, there's a market need and you fill that need. And other people saw how successful he was with it and they just adopted it because you'd go where the money is. And that was the cash crop of the day. Gardner built processing plants that other cucumber growers could rent out to pickle their own crop. Pretty soon, Greenlawn had a thriving cucumber industry. And there were pickling houses at the railroad station as well. It's where they would pickle the cucumbers. Is a pickling house literally just a house? Is it a factory? A factory, small factory. So the farmers from the Greenlawn area would grow their cucumbers and they would bring them to the pickling houses by the train station And that's where the cucumbers would be turned into pickles. Right, and then shipped into the city. But even though Alexander Gardner had this idea to turn Long Island into a pickle mecca, he's not the person who would be known as the Pickle King. That title would belong to someone else, a man by the name of Samuel Balton. Samuel Balton was born in Westmoreland, Virginia in 1838, born into slavery. Samuel was one of nine children. When he was seven years old, he was hired out to a nearby plantation where he lived and worked for years. He met a woman uh, named Rebecca, and they eventually got married in 1861, uh, just before the Civil War began. Shortly after they were married, they were pulled apart. Samuel was conscripted by the Confederacy to work on the railroads in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Rebecca stayed at the plantation. Samuel bided his time, and eventually, he and a few friends attempted to escape the Confederacy. Saturday night, they started walking. And by Wednesday morning, they were in Fredericksburg, about 70 miles away. From there, Samuel spent a couple years cooking for a Union Army regiment in Wisconsin. But he kept thinking about Rebecca. Eventually, he made a decision. He needed to help her escape the plantation, escape slavery. To do that, he'd have to return to the South, to Virginia, where he himself was still a wanted man. And on the way back, he would run into Confederate soldiers, and he would convince them that... He had been captured by northern troops, but he was making his way back home to the plantation. So obviously he was he was a very convincing man. Samuel made it back to the plantation where Rebecca was, and they were reunited. But he decided it was too risky at that time to try to get her out. He snuck back out and waited. A few months later, he went to her again and received a surprise. Rebecca was pregnant with their first child. 
Samuel decided now was the time to escape. And then he did rescue her while she was pregnant. Uh, and they walked 50 miles in, in a matter of uh, 14 hours or so, some incredible amount of distance just to get back to the northern lines and safety. So he, he actually escaped three times. He's never captured, but he escaped three times. He, he was persuasive, and he, I guess he had his wits about him enough to realize what the role he had to play at that moment was in order to survive. Samuel and Rebecca settled in Alexandria, Virginia, where the Union had a stronghold. That's where their first son was born. Towards the end of the Civil War, Samuel fought for the Union Army in Massachusetts and New Orleans, while Rebecca and their son stayed in Virginia. In 1873, the Balton family moved, this time to Greenlawn. And this was right around when Alexander Gardner began farming cucumbers and when the train station was built. Samuel took a job with a white farmer in the area. But within two years, he was working his own land and leasing more on top of that. I think he was up to 26 acres at one point that he was actively farming. What was the business relationship? I'm assuming he's leasing land from white farmers. Right. So, you know, some people might say he was sort of a sharecropper, but I think it was a little different than that. And farmers often lease out their land to other people to, to graze cattle or to, to actively uh, grow crops. So, um, you know, he was the, the tenant and they, they were the landlord. In the decade after Samuel Balton arrived in town, the pickle industry continued to expand. A newspaper article from the time talks about how Greenlawn farmers had grown 32 million pickles that year. And the only farmer mentioned by name was Samuel Balton because he had grown one and a half million. One and a half million pickles grown in one season. Now, we don't have records to tell us how this compares to others. But since Balton was the only farmer mentioned by name in an article about Greenlawn producing so many pickles... It seems safe to say this was considered a lot of pickles for one farmer to grow. And maybe because he was a black man, they thought that was worthy of note. But he must have been well enough known in the community that uh, the name would mean something when people were reading it. Samuel Balton would become better known in the community, not just in Greenlawn, but around Huntington, which is the larger area of Long Island that includes Greenlawn. In 1900, he was profiled in the local paper. He'd gotten into the hospitality business. He ran a boarding house, built a number of houses around town. He operated a dining tent at the local fairgrounds. For a while, he worked as a buyer for a pickle house in Boston. By the time this article came out, Samuel had solidified his place in the Greenlawn community. Add to that those 1.5 million pickles, and he had earned his famous nickname, the Pickle King. He had a real dedication. Um, he was a go-getter. He was always doing something uh, to make money and to be active in the community. As I said to Robert Hughes, hearing the story of Samuel Balton made me question a lot of what I was taught about slavery and enslaved people when I was growing up. First, in the movies I saw as a kid, when the enslaved people were on the auction block, the biggest, strongest black man always went for the most money. The message I got was, these people were brought here for their muscle, to work the fields. But in fact, enslaved people had tremendous agricultural expertise that helped American farming flourish as an industry. One example that I learned from the writer Michael Twitty, Europeans didn't know how to grow rice. Enslaved African-Americans taught them. And you see that agricultural expertise in Samuel Balton. The other thing is that growing up in the New York area, I was always taught about slavery and enslaved people as something that happened in the South. And black contributions to American food are so centered in the South. I appreciated learning that there's black American food history right down the street from me, which suggests it's probably right down the street from a lot of us, whether or not we learned about it in school. 
I just don't hear very many stories of black people at that time contributing anything. I mean, those stories don't seem to be the ones that get told. Right. No, it's it's a very underappreciated and under-understood uh, aspect of, of local history because there was slavery on Long Island and in Huntington. About 6% of the population at one point was enslaved in Huntington. So it was smaller scale, but no less horrific for the people who were enslaved. Where do you see Samuel Bolton's legacy today? I think the legacy of Samuel Bolton is that he was someone who managed to get ahead under what must have been difficult circumstances because of his his background of growing up enslaved, um, his being a black man in a white community. But nonetheless, he he persevered and he tried many different endeavors and was successful in many different endeavors and managed to raise uh, a family here and became, I think, a, a respected member of the community. You see the pictures of the... Uh, Memorial Day parades, and he's there in his Civil War uniform, right out there with all the other veterans. You know, some people say it looks like he's sort of front and center in some of those uh, photographs, that people were proud to have him as part of their community. Coming up, Samuel Bolton gets new recognition in Greenlaw, and I learn more about his family by talking with some of his descendants. Stick around. Hope you're hungry, because it's time for some ads. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels, and you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria Hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool, almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the choice hotels take care of all the other stuff too. But I mean, a pool is a great start. Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. A few years back, my friend Justin Warner from Food Network moved out to South Dakota. He opened a ramen joint, and he is always posting pictures of all the great food he's not only cooking, but eating all over South Dakota. He's always telling me to come visit. And you know, one of the best ways to experience a new place is to eat your way through it. But it's equally important to live your way through it, too. And when you summer in South Dakota, you can fill up on all the lake days, hikes, rides, and small-town strolls that'll leave you with a regained sense of wonder and a hunger to do it all over again. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time at Travel South Dakota. At Boar's Head, delicious is in the details, and you see that in their incredible selection of hummus flavors. Boar's Head hummus is expertly crafted to achieve the perfect balance of creamy texture and refined taste. You can taste those chickpeas, you can taste the tahini, you can taste a little bit of acidity, it's got it all. I especially love their roasted red pepper hummus made with fire-roasted peppers. You can even taste a little bit of that char. It's perfectly dippable. It's perfectly spreadable. This is the kind of thing you always want to have on hand in your refrigerator. Dip, scoop, spread, or smear boar's head hummus to your heart's content. Hummus so extraordinary, it can only be boar's head. Compromise elsewhere. 
I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know the peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's sticks? They're wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate. I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. I know you love it when my mom is on the podcast, right? Well, guess what? She's in this podcast. Listen to the very end of this episode to hear her recipe for, I'll just say it, the best veggie dip I've ever tasted, which I adapt using Hellman's Spicy Mayonnaise. You're going to love this segment and the recipe. Stay tuned to the end for that. One more thing. Remember a few years ago when everyone was getting an instant pot? Well, recently the company filed for bankruptcy. In last week's episode, I find out what happened. And we take a spin through some other hot topics in food. I talk with food writer Dennis Lee about getting his local Burger King to recreate Burger King Thailand's cheeseburger. This cheeseburger is just 20 slices of cheese. No meat. I have never seen anything like it. It was hilarious. Like, this thing was just melt like a melted mound of plastic. It was... <laughs> It was shiny. It like reflected in your face. Like you could probably, <laughs> you could probably see a reflection in it. And we both took bites of it right, right in the middle where the pile of cheese was the tallest. You got to listen to the episode to find out what Dennis thought of it and to hear about other pressing news in the world of food, including whether aspartame is actually bad for you. That's up now. Check it out. Now back to the story of the pickle king of Greenlaw. Samuel Bolton died in 1917. A few years later, a blight arrived. A fungus stunted the cucumber's growth, and they turned white and got too hard to eat. Nobody could find a fix. Farmers quit planting cucumbers, and Greenlawn's pickle industry basically disappeared. It would be decades before the town would acquire its other claim to fame. On March 27, 1969, Mariah Carey was born. She's from Greenlawn. My friend Todd claims when she was in high school, she threw up in the basement bathroom of the house he now owns. I can't verify that claim, but Todd does give tours if you're interested. Fortunately, kids growing up here still know about the town's connection to pickles. The park behind the library is named Pickle Park, and every September there's the Pickle Festival, where I met a group of college-age women. I've come here as a kid, and I thought I'd bring my friends. And I told her about it, and she had to come fly here for it. She came from England for the Pickle Festival. Is, that's, that can't be true. No, yeah. it's true. It is true. <laughs> Well, first of all, she loves pickles. It's kind of like her favorite thing. Like, you think Lauren, and then you kind of think pickle. Yeah, very true. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, you have to come to the Pickle Festival. It's every year. Lauren, is it everything you expected it would be? Everything and more. <laughs> <laughs> the most American thing I've ever been to in my entire existence. <laughs> in recent years, more people have learned about Samuel Bolton thanks to the work of the area's African-American Historic Designation Council and other town leaders. The council was formed in 2005, and they've been slowly bringing more attention to Samuel Balton's story. They began by putting on some local exhibits about him at the town church and at the train station. A few years later, they put up a couple of historical markers around town, small signs near houses he built that share a bit of his story. Then, in 2021, the council recommended that a street be renamed for the Pickle King. Good morning. I welcome all of you and invite you to share the history of African-Americans in the town of Huntington. We have this is Irene Moore, chair of the African-American Historic Designation Council, speaking of the street renaming ceremony. 
The town of Huntington that she's referring to is the local governing body for Greenlaw. So some people use the town names interchangeably. Irene first learned about Samuel Balton when she moved to the area in 1970. She says for the most part, the local black community was always familiar with the Pickled King. But until recently, his story wasn't widely publicized or taught in schools. As you know, African-American history is not only Huntington's history, but it's Americans' history. So again, thank all of you for coming. Thanks again for being here. The street being renamed is pretty short, a section of Boulevard Avenue with a couple of houses that ends in a cul-de-sac. It was chosen because Samuel Balton lived in the house on the corner. That street would now be known as Samuel Balton Way. On the day of the renaming, the block was closed. There was a podium set up. Several local politicians were there to speak. There was a pretty good crowd for a small town. Wow, what a turnout for Sam Bolton, huh? You know, as I read about Sam A few Bolton, Civil War reenactors were there in Union Army uniforms. Some teachers and students from the school district came. There was even a local TV news truck and some special guests. And we also have the family from Sam Bolton's descendants here. William H. Bolton II, also Carl Bolton, his great-great-grandchild. Give them a round of applause to the family who's come from far and wide to be here with us today. Carl Bolton, Samuel Bolton's great-great-grandson, got up to speak. The first thing that impressed me about Sam was the great love that he had for his wife, Rebecca, a love that caused him to risk his life to free her from slavery. So he was a great family man. I learned that he was also a great civic leader and a builder, as much of his handiwork remains to this day. And finally, I learned that he was a fantastic businessman. He was indeed the pickle king. So thank you on behalf of the Bolton family. After the ceremony, I spoke with Carl Bolton, who now lives in Georgia. I am the oldest living Bolton, uh, and I'm 74 years old. So, uh, you know, I didn't really have a lot of knowledge of my, my father's family. I saw a slave narrative that talked about the Sam and Rebecca Bolton story, and that's really when I first really learned about, about Sam. So it was, just, it was just amazing to me. And so we were able to come, uh, come up here, and I went through the, uh, the historical society and saw all the exhibit and everything that they have for him. And uh, so that was, a, that was a revelation. Off to the side, I noticed a couple other Bolton relatives. They were younger, late 20s, early 30s. And they'd come all the way from L.A. for the ceremony. Sorry, can you just both tell me your names, please? Leanne Bolton. My name is Brian Bolton. Samuel Bolton was Leanne's great, great, great grandfather. When she discovered the story of her ancestor. I was like, wait, what? I love pickles. Do you mean that I could possibly be the pickle princess? That is amazing. I gotta eat more pickles. <laughs> In recent years, more stories of black Americans like Samuel Bolton have come to light. Now I pass his street whenever I drop my kids off at school, and I enjoy sharing his story with them when we go to the Pickle Festival each year. A few months after the street renaming ceremony, I called up Leanne Bolton to talk about how all this has affected her. That was a beautiful experience to come down and see them rename the street after him. Sorry, just emotional, sorry. Just being able to stand on that, you know, the front lawn of the property that he built. I always saw pictures, but I had never been there. It was really 
it was really emotional. <laughs> Have you and your family had a chance to sort of reflect on that day? We had a family meeting over Zoom and we were able to share our experiences and a lot of the family members that wanted to come and couldn't. A lot of them were just really overwhelmed with joy and excited. And a lot of uh, that side of my family, they're, they're older, so they were just thankful that they were able to find out more information. So we really got to just share in that experience together as a family and it actually brought us closer together, especially for our younger generations that were on that call. It was really like good for them to really get to understand and grasp a lot of the stories that, you know, I didn't get to at their age. You know, coming to Greenlawn, standing in the spot where Samuel Bolton stood, learning more details of his story than you knew before, how did that change the way you think of yourself? Um, it's helped me overcome doubting myself and kind of like being hesitant to try new things. It's kind of pushed me to just keep pushing forward and initiating new ideas. And I just always hold that notion of that, you know, he was a leader and, and he was able to accomplish so much. And I have that too. I can do that same thing. A few years ago, I spoke with Dr. Jessica B. Harris for an episode of the show. She spent her career uncovering the ways that Black Americans have fundamentally shaped food in this country. In that conversation, I asked her what impact those stories had on her. My spine may have straightened a little bit more. I might have, you know, walked a little taller and been a little bit prouder. I think that, that this whole notion of um, hidden heroes, and we've got so many hidden or um, stolen, or strayed, or, or erased, erased African Americans in all realms, not just the culinary, that um, deserve, that cry out for reestablishment. I told Dr. Harris about Samuel Bolton, and I told her how Greenlawn, this mostly white town in the Long Island suburbs, isn't where I expected to find a story like his. Well, I mean, I think the thing that's so fascinating is that he is in the suburbs of Long Island. But because if, I mean, if you begin to think about it in those terms, when we start talking about these hidden heroes, that if they can be found in this town, Greenlawn, in Long Island, unexpectedly, then how many other stories are there? My thanks to everyone who I spoke with in this episode. The 43rd annual Greenlawn Pickle Festival will take place at the John Gardner Farm in Greenlawn on September 16th from 10 to 4. Come experience the magic of pickles on a stick. Who knows, maybe Mariah Carey will be there. But probably not. I don't think she's been back in a while. Next week on the show, I travel to rural Virginia to go foraging with a man who's carrying on a family tradition and supplying high-end ingredients to local restaurants. That's next week. Why wait for that one? Check out last week's episode in which we take a spin through some hot topics in the world of food, from Instant Pot's bankruptcy to Burger King Thailand's cheeseburger to much more. That one's up now. 
This episode was produced by me along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producers Andres O'Hara and Johanna Mayer. The show is edited by Camille Stanley. Our engineer is Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher Studios. Our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Nora Ritchie. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Karen on Long Island, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. I'm heading to a party, and I want to bring a variation on my mom's famous veggie dip, but I don't quite remember her recipe, so I'm calling her up. Hello? Hey. Hey. Can you remind me your recipe for that veggie dip that you do? You mean the mustard dill? Yeah. Yeah, so you just take almonds, mayonnaise, some salt and pepper, squeeze in some lemon juice, and it's probably about two-thirds mayo to a third Dijon. Dijon mustard? And then chop up some dill. Do you feel like it has to be Hellman's mayonnaise? Yes, because Hellman's, is, to me, has the flavor closest to homemade mayonnaise. You've been doing this veggie dip for, for I mean, I feel like I remember this when, you, when I was a kid, you, you would roll out this veggie dip. Yeah, but I used to do just mustard and mayo, but then I decided I got exotic and added dill. <laughs> mustard, mayonnaise, and dill just works. And, and, and what do you dip into it? Oh, well, that is especially shrimp, but also veggies, but it's really delicious, the shrimp. That sounds really good. What kind of reactions do you usually get when you make this dip? People say, that's delicious. How do you make it? <laughs> well, I, I want to try making this veggie dip of yours, but using the Hellman's spicy mayonnaise. Okay. And I think adding heat to it would be very good. Uh, I'm going to go make the Hellman's spicy mayo veggie version of your veggie dip and, sh- and try it. Okay. All right, I'm in the kitchen. Time to mix up a batch of my mom's famous veggie dip, but this time with Hellman's spicy mayonnaise. Hellman's mayonnaise... Dijon mustard, lemon, dill. Grab the salt and pepper in a sec. All right, now she said two to one ratio, mayo to mustard. First in goes the Hellman spicy mayonnaise. Dijon mustard, make this little mix. Time for the lemon juice. A little salt, ground pepper. Chop up the dill. Now, grab a baby carrot to taste. Mmm. This is already such a good dip, and the addition of the spicy mayo is next level. Absolute next level. Tart, creamy, spicy. It's got everything. In fact, I'm gonna bring it to a party right now. All right, one more bite before that. Mmm. Party time. So I'm on my way home from the party. The dip was a huge hit. The spice from the mayonnaise, the lemon juice, the Dijon, it's just firing on all cylinders. It is so full of flavor. It is so savory. So it's a great recipe. Thanks, Mom. And made even better with Hellman's spicy mayonnaise, which, by the way, is made with real chili peppers. And let me tell you, there's a bunch of other great things you can do with this Hellman's spicy mayonnaise. They have a bunch of recipes when you go to hellmans.com slash spicy including an incredible spicy, crispy chicken sandwich. Again, that's hellmans.com slash spicy. Deliciously spicy, 100% Hellmans.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 